Yo, mic check, mic check, one, two, one, two. Welcome. My name is Blackamore, I'm a nutrition and fitness consultant. Also the author of the book, Everything You Need to Know About Stocks for Now. And you are now listening to Not off the top. Um, you know, Tank Davis just had his fight, knocked Buddy out. Everybody thought that that was gonna be tough for Tank. And, you know, that was. It looked like it was easy work from what I saw. It looked like it was easy work from what I saw, and now we have another rumored date <laughs> for the Terrence Crawford versus Earl Spence. It's sometime in July. I don't know. I'm done. I'm at a point where until I get a text from Bud himself, I'm not even. I don't even care because it's too. It's too much. It's too many false dates coming out from, you know, fairly legitimate from legitimate sources. Maybe not necessarily official sources, but they're coming from sources that have a decent reputation. Like, even for leaks that's not official, they usually seem to be on point, but they keep fucking this one up. So, I'm not believing that until I see it come from either Terrence Crawford's actual account or mouth or Earl Spence's actual account or mouth. Until then, whatever. But that's the new rumor sometime in July. Do with that as you will. Um, But back to... Well, I don't want to spend too much time on sports, especially in the beginning. But, you know... Niggas ain't fucking with Tank. Niggas ain't fucking with Bud. If there was somebody fucking with Bud, though, it is Spence. You know, that's a close one. I'm going for Spence. I both think Spence... Oh, excuse me. I'm going for Bud, not Spence. I both think Bud will win. I both feel like Bud will win. You know, because I'm a fan. We from the same city. But even objectively, I still think he's going to win. I don't think nobody else is as has a higher IQ and is accurate on offense as Terrence Crawford is. So we're going to see. Um, a question that I've seen floating around on social media over the past week or so is this the question, how does a man know when he's in love? How does a man know when he's in love? So if I'm being all the way 100, if I'm being all the way honest, I don't think I'm qualified to answer this because we get to talk about being in love. I don't look at love like that. I don't even believe that's a thing. You know, I don't look at love. And I'm not saying this is how all men feel. This is how this man feels, how I feel. You know, love is not this disease you catch, right? It's not nothing like, oh, I'm in love. I don't look at love as a noun, as an emotion, because emotions are temporary. Right or wrong, all emotions, nobody's happy forever, nobody's sad forever, and actually those who do get stuck in an emotion forever, this is what we call depression. Now, I'm not about to talk, turn this into a mental health podcast, but I also, you know, a lot of people don't seem to know the difference between being sad and depressed. 
not being able to come out of an emotion, no matter what that emotion is, that's depression or the inability to feel an emotion in the first place. A lot of times people just be sad and say it's depressed, say they're depressed. But that's another conversation. So same thing with love. Yeah, you'll feel, you know, like you will just like somebody your whole goddamn life. But that emotion is temporary. So love is a verb. It's a decision. You decide if you're going to love someone or not. I believe this is how things need to be done. We need to take more objective approaches when dealing with relationships with each other, especially considering divorce rates and all of the broken families. Because many of us, we jump into situations, emotions first, or even dig first. Not really mapping out a plan, not really being logical about things, feeling the way about somebody. And we got to also understand what else. We change. The person that you met and called yourself falling in love with a few years ago is a different person today. And so are you. And in a few years, you're going to be different again, and they're going to be different again. In a few years, they're going to be different again, and you're going to be different again. All these permutations, what are the odds of y'all remaining as compatible as you were when you first met? But things just work so much as when you first met. It doesn't work like that, right? So as far as this man answering the question, how does a man know when he's in love? For me, I have criteria that had to be met. And then from then on, it's kind of just a vibe. That's something that's more out of your control. Because sometimes, you know, people can meet all your criteria, but you just don't feel that spark. You don't feel that electricity. And maybe this is what many of you would like to call the love. But I've seen this spark and electricity happen too much and fail too often for me to accept that answer from y'all. So for me, it's going to be a combination of criteria and the electricity. And the criteria is important because you have to come up with criteria that's going to stand the test of time. Because like I just said, you know, we change. You're going to change over time. But what core values, what core principles do you have that, you know, as far as you could tell, you don't see changing forever. And we got to be really honest about that. We have to be really honest about that. And I think the best way for that is to kind of, you got to kind of assess how you see the world. And I think you have to kind of consider your, I don't want to say religious beliefs. It's just how you view the world. Like your ultimate view and goal of the world. What really defines you? Like what really are you really against? Do y'all have the same hatred for certain shit? I think that's more important than having the same love for certain shit. Do y'all hate the same things? <laughs> you know what I'm saying? Like serious things. Like we hate uh, the position that we're in as a people together. And we so that hatred fuels us to put us in better positions. So we know that some things... We don't even, like, some things we're going to always see eye to eye on because of what drives us. Things like that. I would say the same religious beliefs, but I actually was just looking this up today, like the top causes of divorce. 
And religion, it was a top 10, maybe top 12, but it was at the bottom of the list. I don't know, if, I can't remember if it was 10th or 12th, but actually having a compatible religion, that only made up for about 13% of divorces. And you know they say that money is the number one cause of divorce, and that that's actually looks like that's outdated today. That failed to like number six or seven. Interesting. I didn't know that. Money is no longer the number one cause of divorce. I still believe it's important. I believe we all do because it just makes things easier. Right? Having money just makes things easier. It's not about being rich, right? It's not about, you know, just really balling out. But can the bills be paid? Can we go out and have a good time without it stressing us out? And a good time doesn't have to be something extravagant. You could just be going somewhere simple to eat or, you know, something like that. So it's still a top 10. It's still a, it still was important. It still was up there. It still was like top six or seven, but it wasn't number one. Number one cause, and I'm using this list as the same for actual relationships. It may not be the case, but, you know, it's a lot of people who've been together for decades even and ain't never got married. So I'm, I'm using this list as the same thing for relationships, but the number one reason... Hold on. Let's go back. Let me make sure I'm not make sure I'm not tripping. Let's just read the list. Let's just read the list. Let me bring it up. Hold on. Give me two seconds. Where we at? Hold on. These ain't the right stats. This is showing me other things. This is showing me remarriage and things like that. Did I click the right link? Okay, yeah, this is right. Okay, so I'm reading this from Forbes. I don't believe Forbes was the original source of this, but Forbes reported on this. Top reasons for divorce. Oh, this is according to the National Library of Medicine. So I'm going to read from the bottom up. So we've got 1, 2, 3, 4, 5, 6, 7, 8, 9, 10, 11. So these are top 11. 11th reason. Little or no premarital education makes up for 13% of divorces. So that's the 11th reason. I believe the 12th was uh, the religion, which apparently didn't make it on this list. So, want to increase your odds by 13%? Take some time to educate yourself on how marriage is actually supposed to work. Oh, there's religious differences right there. So that was, it was tied for 13%. So religious differences and little to no premarital education are at the bottom of the list. So it's a top reason, but it's at the bottom of the top reasons. So maybe you can get away with being religiously inc- incompatible and coming into a marriage ignorant on how it works. It's possible. Improbable. Next, we have health problems. That's interesting. I didn't even know that was on this list. Health problems. Health problems is a top 10 reason for divorce. 17% of divorces. That's almost 20%. Almost one in five. So one in six. You take six divorced people. And one of those divorced couples is because somebody had health issues. What do we talk about all the time on this podcast? Didn't even know that. How common diabetes and high blood pressure and cancer and all of these things are. COVID even these days. 
And there is things that you can do about it. People look at disease like at health like diseases as well. Like there is the only, the type of diseases that is super difficult to prevent or like infections. And even that you kind of just stay away from people and keep your, you know, keep your area clean. And as far as these chronic conditions like blood pressure, diabetes and things like that, even cancer, you can help prevent. It won't be foolproof, but you could dramatically increase the odds of it happening to you. It's already low odds of happening to you just going through the world as whatever, right? Because it happens to a minority of us, but it still happens to way too many of us. And we could, and we could reduce the odds even more by just eating and moving around as an exercise and getting the right sleep. So we have to, if you take your marriage serious, you should take your health serious. Okay, so the next most common reason, lack of support from family. I think that's pretty obvious. I don't think that's nothing we have to really go in on. Now, this is alarming because the next most common reason for divorce, this is reason number one, two, three, four, five, six, seven, eight. So this is reason number eight. The eighth most common reason, or no, excuse me, number seven. The seventh most common reason for divorce is domestic violence. Now, that's a goddamn shame. That's a goddamn shame. 24%. Well, that's one in four. Damn near, basically. Go get some... <laughs> I can't believe I'm about to say this. <laughs> but go get some therapy or something. Whatever it takes. Get your mind right before y'all go into this relationship abusing people. And we know that most domestic situations is the man attacking the woman. What's going on out here, fellas? We know it can go both ways, but we know which way is the most common as well. So what's going on with the abusers? That's a lot. Domestic violence, one in four divorced couples is from domestic violence. Now, maybe not that this. Let me, I don't know if this is all physical or some of this is emotional because when it gets emotional, sometimes maybe it can get a little subjective. What's abusive to one may not be abusive to the other. I don't know, but why are we getting married just to inflict violence on our partner? What are we doing? That's crazy. The next most, this is reason number six. And this reason probably contributes to reason number seven. Substance abuse. Too much drinking. Playing with your nose, whatever the drug or alcohol, whatever that case is, substance abuse, pills. That's crazy. Uh, the number five, one, two, three, four, five, the fifth most common. Okay. So the fifth most common is the money, financial problems, 37%. There's over one in three. Over one in three couples divorced for money problems. Over one in three couples divorced for money problems. And, in, and during these times, especially these, these times, you need both adults going to work. And we also have to still be investing on the side and we have to be building our credit as well. We are in a time... We've been in a time, but even more so now, where we cannot just depend on one source of income, as in just one job and 
That's just going to pay for everything and we don't have to do any other financial moves. We always had to be thinking of how to enrich ourselves financially, not just building your credit and just to have a good credit score, but we're building the credit so we can have funds to invest in things, to enrich yourself financially even more and or for emergencies. You can have the credit aside for emergencies because many times we don't have the opportunity to stack up the actual cash. But it's better to at least have the credit on deck as you stack up the actual cash because we would rather have cash for the emergencies. But in the meantime, if your credit is right, at least you can have some credit aside while you stack up the cash. Because that's better than not having neither credit nor cash to get you out of an emergency situation that funds is mandatory for. Top, the fourth reason is getting married too young. Almost half, 45% of divorces because they got too young. Now, many of these things are overlapping, right? Because this, this, these numbers don't all total to 100. So some people are like too young with money. Like being young and money problems, there's probably a lot of overlap there. So simply just waiting more can perhaps take care of the money issues. You know, um, it's very common. Like most men, we ain't, our, we ain't got our shit together until our mid to late 30s. <laughs> you know what I'm saying? Still figuring life out. For first, 30, first 33, 34, 35, maybe even up to 36 years. And don't really get stable until your mid to late 30s. That's pretty common these days. As far as being all the way, all right, now let's, you know, you can afford a family type shit. Getting married too young is reason number four. Now, these top three, this go over, constituting for over half of the reason why it's a divorce. Number three reason, too much conflict and argument. So basically, just not getting along. Now, what did I say? Before I got to reading this list, I said, we have to have a criteria ready to make sure that you see the world the same. I believe that this reduces Many conflicts and fights and arguments by 90%. When you see the world the same. I talk, to, I talk to people who are in relationships and a lot of times they'll argue over, you know, like political things or they'll argue over like right now, for, it's crazy, but like there's this man versus woman war, right? Because of certain energy that may have came from some of uh, a lot of these things Kevin Samuels introduced, and I'm not here to disrespect Kevin Samuels. I actually honor some of what Kevin Samuels, ugh, some of what Kevin Samuels did. I respect it and I honor it. I even miss him at times because I wonder what he would say about certain things. However, many people take some of his talking points literally just to instigate some fights and shit, literally just to get their shit off. And it comes from a place of pain as a as opposed to a place of coming together and understanding and helping one another. So, like something as simple as maybe the woman says, fuck Kevin Samuels, and the man is a Kevin Samuel light, but these two people are in a relationship, and since this is a trending topic, what do you think happens when those topics get brought up? And then how do you think one another feels when they don't agree on something fundamental like that, and they're in a relationship? Shit like that, right? Or it could be shit like some liberal and conservative shit, maybe their stance on abortion. 
right? And then there's also the religious thing. Do you believe in Jesus or not? How many of these key fundamental things or how you, what shapes your reality do y'all disagree on? Y'all got to agree on 80 plus percent of these things, 90 plus percent of these things. Thing, the things that one another take most important, that's most important to him, the more so you need to agree with it. So like the religious thing, some people aren't that religious one way or another. So if you're not compatible with your religions, it's not as big a deal, right? Maybe, you know, maybe one's from a Christian family, one's from a Muslim family, but neither one of them take it that serious. Or maybe just one of them takes it serious. So the other one that don't take their own religions that serious, they can be more flexible. You understand what I'm saying? But two super people who take their religions very serious, but they don't have they don't have the same religion. That might be a problem. You understand? I'm coming off like I'm just a relationship doctor right now. Keep in mind, I don't. <laughs> these are just my thoughts and my beliefs and my theories. I ain't nobody. I ain't no doctor. I ain't no uh, counselor. This is just my common sense. So yeah, reason number three: fifty-eight percent of divorces. Too much conflict, too much arguing. I believe that could be prevented if we have an understanding and we agree on fundamental things. And this criteria should be set ahead of time for the individuals before you even get into relationships. Y'all got to know y'all non-negotiables. Like, yo, I know I can't fuck on nobody who believes this because I believe that. And that ain't going to work because if it come down to it, I'm choosing that over them. Shit like that. Okay. Reason number two, infidelity or extramarital affairs accounts for 60 Percent is reason number two. Cheating, basically. Well, over half of marriages fail because somebody cheats. I don't think we need to go into detail of that. And read the number one reason is lack of commitment, which sounds a lot like cheating to me. But I'm going. But I'm thinking maybe just lack of commitment to the marriage. You know, maybe somebody may take their job more seriously in the marriage. You know, that's what I'm. Thinking that is, but that's 75%. And I'm pretty sure cheating is probably a, a, a part of that. So, just remaining faithful and dedicated to your marriage. Three, If you take four divorced couples, three of them divorced because of lack of commitment. And I believe, you know, infidelity probably is a big chunk of that. So if you stay dedicated to your marriage and don't cheat and you get with somebody that you agree on, now we're on the winning side because those top three reasons are the majority of divorces. All the other reasons of these top 11s that I said, they're the minority. It's 45% and lower. And now if we are waiting a little bit longer, so getting married too young, financial problems, I think that those overlap. So if we wait a little longer, we establish the right criteria and we decide to dedicate ourselves to our partner in marriage, dedicate ourselves to our marriage, I think that we could reduce divorce rates a hell of a lot. What y'all think? I'm just looking at the facts right here. According to the National Library of Medicine, these are the top 11. Where's the 12? Did I count this right? 1, 2, 3, 4, 5, 6, 7, 8, 9, 10, 11. Top 11 reasons for divorce is everything I just told you. And I gave you from... The least common within the 11 to the most common. Lack of commitment is the number one reason. 75% of divorces. The reasoning is lack of commitment. And a lot of these things, I believe, kind of naturally come the older we get. If you're maturing, right? Hopefully the older we get, the more we're maturing. So what y'all think about that? 
Y'all disagree with anything I said? Y'all feeling anything? Everything I said? Like I said, I ain't even really in position to talk. I mean, yeah, I'm in a relationship and all that, but I feel like only people who've been married for like 30, 40 years can really speak on this, like to where their word really matters. You understand? Um. So yeah, that's my thoughts on that. I'll tell you something else I've seen. Moving on. Uh, it was this person trending on Twitter who said, who was saying how anybody who is exercising in an effort to lose fat is fat phobic. They're practicing fat phobia. And she went on to say, 99.9% of the time, at least. of the time, if you are exercising in an attempt to burn fat, then you are fat phobic. This is my issue with that, the whole body positivity, fat phobia movement thing, because they take it too far. Now, I'm all for, I'm all about you know, of course, like just shitting on people because they fat or saying, you know, get your fat ass in the gym and, you know, hiding, uh, for lack of better words, fat phobic ideas behind, you know, calling yourself being concerned about your health and shit like that. I'm all the way with that because, you know, telling people the obvious, what is that doing? Like the person who's struggling with their weight, if they consider it a struggle. Let me, let me rephrase that. The person who... Is carrying a lot of uh, fat, as in over 30% fat in their body. <clears throat> over 35% in their body. Let's just take it up to 40. The person who's carrying over 40, because I just want to be all the way safe. They've heard this. They're not telling them nothing new. They've heard it all. So saying shit like, you need to lose weight or you're fat or get your fat ass in the gym. You need to go on a diet. You can afford to miss a few meals. All that type of shit. All that type of slick shit. Or even just telling them, period. I remember when I was bigger. I guess I'm fat phobic because I... Ex- <laughs> well, actually, I ate in an attempt to lose fat. I didn't really do too much exercising. So, does that still... Yeah, because any, I guess anything to, to lose fat will make me fat phobic. So, according to her, I am fat phobic. But when I was fatter, when I was fat, like fat, fat, and I would hear people tell me that, and I'm like, what, I'm like, what value did this add to the conversation? What value added to my life? You think I don't? You think I ain't seen myself in the mirror? No shit, I need to lose weight. You think I don't know that? If it was that simple, I did it already. That's what I'm thinking, and I'm and I'm going to assume that you know, since a lot of human beings, we are the same. We think the same. So I'm pretty sure, you know, if you're somebody who hears that a lot, y'all feel me. No fucking shit. I know what I look like, nigga. Why are you telling me this? I ain't ask you. So I, I look to be conscious of that type of shit. I like, so I like to put out information. And it's up to you if you want to come check out what I have to say on my page. And I like, I like to put the captions so you already know what I'm talking about. So if you're looking for that type of information or maybe you're looking for something that you ain't heard before. That's why when I put out 
like even these podcasts or I'm putting out videos on my social media, I like to speak on things that people may be sleeping on. We all know that if you eat a little less and move a little more, you'll lose weight and vice versa. But maybe that's not the case. If we all know what to do and we still struggle with it, maybe something else is going on, right? I said this in another podcast. I'll say it again. And, remind, and remember, I'm saying this as a fitness consultant. I'm saying this as somebody who does personal training. I'm not incentivized to share this fact with you. However, the fact is, they did a study. They took one group of people who hired a therapist. Uh, oh, by the way, both of these groups of people were considered overweight, right? So the first group of overweight people, they hired a therapist. The second group of people, of overweight people, they hired a personal trainer. They came back, they checked on us some time later. I don't know if it was three months, six months, a year later. I forget how much time went by, but they came back, they come back after a period of time. The group of people who lost the most weight was the group that had the therapist, not the personal trainer. The personal trainer, the one who was trained and is a professional on exercising and losing weight and putting on muscle. But the therapist had more success because this is a mindset thing. This is another reason why I can't accept this whole, if you exercise in the burn fat, then you're fat phobic. How is it that when somebody got some work done on their mind, it's not like the therapy, it was all about losing weight. They just talk about the actual problems. They wouldn't, the therapy sessions didn't have shit to do, jack shit to do with weight loss. They're talking about their problems. What does a therapist know? They only know mind shit. They're not telling them to go do squats and deadlifts and shit. Pardon my language. But for some reason, once they kind of got it out and they did some mental exercises and started to feel better about the things that they were going through, this correlated with fat loss, which is an indication to me that they got healthier mentally. Their, Their mental health got better and it manifested through their physical health. So how can you sit here and say, that anybody who's exercising in an attempt to lose weight is fat phobic when it seems that not having excess fat is healthy or having excess fat is unhealthy. Excess fat is, I mean, come on, it's, it's, it comes with high blood pressure in a lot of people. It comes with diabetes. It comes with Increased risk, increased risk of cancer because we got brown fat cells, we have white fat cells, right? It's the white fat cells that we need to be afraid of. The white fat cells, the brown fat cells, that's about keeping your metabolism, keeping your body at 98.6 degrees and things like that. They don't just store any type of energy. The white fat cells, they store any goddamn type of energy. They're like pigs, they're like scavengers. And it, and it stores the toxins and all of that. This is where, this is what can increase your risk of cancer. Excess fat. Now, it's not even just about fat because now it depends where it's stored. People can have, two different people can have the exact same amount of fat on them, right? Let's say you have two people, they're both 200 pounds, right? One of them, 30 pounds, no, when both of them, they both have 50 pounds of fat. They're 200, they both weigh 200 pounds, they're 50 pounds if they're 200 pounds is fat. Let's do 60 pounds. 60 pounds if they're 200 pounds is fat. So it's a lot of fat, right? I think that's what? The math on that three, that's 30% body fat in both of them, right? So especially if it's a man, they're going to really look fat. Let's say, let's, let's say they're men. But one of them stores more fat 
and their legs and their ass or their thighs and their glutes. They store more fat there. The other person, their legs is a little more slim, they, they, but they store more so they fat in their midsection. Their gut and their back and their sides, they love handles. The one who stores the fat with their love handles and their gut is less healthy than the one who stores most of their fat and their behind and their legs. Because if it's in your midsection, now we have fat all around your organs because that's where your organs are stored at in the body. And we also don't need this fat being infused, if you will, in the muscle, intramyocellular lipids. This leads to disease. So it's not even just about how much fat, but how is the fat being stored? But if it's not a lot of fat to begin with, if the fat is being stored improperly, at least the risk isn't as high. So a lot of people who have who may be who may like have a lot of fat. First of all, a lot of times their shape. You may you may not be as quick to call them fat because their shape may still look more attractive because they're not having all the fat more so in the midsection, especially like in a woman. If the woman store most of the fat and they're behind in their legs, we find that attractive. Like even a lot of, like a lot of BBW shit, the women they still have the shape. When it's not a lot, it's not, you know, it's more fat in they behind in their legs than it is in their midsection. But we still don't want to go too crazy on having body fat to begin with. I mean, it's real health issues that come with this shit. We don't just make this up. And I think that's alarming because I know she's not the only one who thinks like that. That's like a lot of people who are real deep into the body positivity, fat phobic big movement. No, I'm, saying, I'm not saying all of them. A lot of people who are really deep into that, and maybe the majority of them, I don't know. I'm not too, I'm not going to lie. I'm a little ignorant as far as the type of people who advocate for that. That's not a subject I've dived deep into. I know a couple of people who, di- who deal with that and post that, and I fuck with what I fuck with, with what they say. I am against, you know, like the body shaming shit. Like, cause that, that doesn't help. That actually makes it worse, right? A lot of our women, especially, but a lot of people, let's, let's keep it at people. I just brought up women because, especially black women, because they number one with diabetes. But we think uh, the only thing that we know for sure that contributes to diabetes is eating too much. There's, you know, there's... It's a big, um, it's a belief that it's sugar, right? It's a plausible belief that it's sugar. And then at a point in time, people say they was just eating a bunch of fat. But it's eating too much in general, we know, contributes to diabetes. And we eat more when we consume a lot of refined carbohydrates and sugars and shit. And one of the things that will make somebody want to eat more refined carbohydrates and sugars and things of that nature is when they're oxytocin deficient. You're not producing enough oxytocin. You're not producing a lot of oxytocin if you don't feel bonds and connection with people. You're not going to feel connected with people if people are shitting on you and calling you fat and all of this all the damn time. So. That's something that we all need to take into consideration. If you call yourself really trying to help somebody who is struggling with their weight. We've got to be mindful and conscious of how we speak with them. Because you could be the actual trigger that makes it worse. I'm not responsible. I'm not forcing them to eat that. We all play a part in everybody's decisions. That's a fact. I don't like that we do that too. 
We all play a part in people's decisions. Every decision you made, it wasn't 100% you. Things that happened to you inspired your decision making. Hopefully you made the one that was right for you. But other people played a part in your decision making and can make certain decisions you make harder or easier than others. We know the decision. So in a simple example, the person struggling with their weight, we know the decisions we want them to make is to eat, not eat as much and eat more healthy foods and not eat, you know, processed carb foods like donuts and cookies and shit like that. Right. We know that that's a decision they can make. We know that's we know that's a decision that only they can make. However, how we treat and interact with that person can make that decision easier or harder. And if you really care, like we say we do, we will play our part. However, what we cannot do is go as far as to say that all just having all the fat is just fine. There's no health risk and anybody who's looking to burn fat at their body is fat phobic. Now, I will say in a technical sense, we are fat phobic. We should be. We should have a phobia of excess fat. We should be. We should fear that shit because a lot of health risks come with it. But fat phobic as far as hating people who carry extra fat. I think that's kind of I think that's kind of crazy. I think that's nuts. We can't be doing that. I think I feel a little better because now that I got that out of my system. Uh, appreciate y'all tuning in. I think we're going to conclude this episode. And uh, I check y'all on the next one. Blackamore.com. Peace.